Blog Talk Radio. Being proud and puffed up in my way. 
God, we're grateful because if it had not been for you, we would not be here. We opened our eyes this morning, God, because you gave us the strength to open our eyes. We were able to rise because you gave us strength in our limbs and the facilities of our body. We were able to get here, God, because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety and did not allow harm to come to us, Lord. We're grateful to again come into your presence because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And as we come before you today, have your way, Lord. Let flesh be crucified that you might be glorified, that your people might be edified in the name of Jesus. For God in you is life. And that's what we seek, God, life, eternal life, God. We pray, oh God, today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you, Lord. Bind the hand of the devil, God. Rebuke the hand of the enemy, Lord. God, let your anointing that resonates in this place even now. God, let there be an outpouring on your people. We need you, God, to take us to another level in you, Lord. God, we're faced with demonic forces, God. Evil spirits have come up against us, Lord, and we need to be fortified with your power. God, we can't make it on our own strength, God. We don't have enough to stand on, Lord. But we know, God, that your joy is our strength. Fill us up on today in the name of Jesus. Somebody have come this morning burdened down, God, with the issues of life, God. Somebody, God, is in the battle of their life. Somebody's, God, fighting in their mind and in their spirit, Lord, where the devil have come in to war against them, Lord. But we thank you, God, because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world, God. We know, God, that you are a deliverer, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're no short of your promise, Lord, and you're able to deliver us, Lord. Touch us on today, Lord. We need you like never before. Fill us up with the Holy Ghost, God, and give us a refilling, Lord, that when we leave here today, 
today, Lord. We can leave with your anointing, Lord. That as we meet men and women, boys and girls, they might be converted to know who you are, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you because you are a healer. You're the God that healeth thee. And healing is in your wings. And you're able to touch our feeble bodies. You're able to save our troubled souls. And in the name of Jesus, bind every demon, Lord. Every demonic force, Lord. God, that comes to keep us in the same place, Lord. We're willing, God, to surrender and say yes to your will, Lord. We're willing to turn our lives, God, over into your hands, Lord. Because we come to the place, God, where we realize like never before, we need you, Jesus. More than anything we know, we need you, Jesus. While men are trying to find, God, solutions to this chaotic world, God, we're looking to you, Lord, because we know for every right desire, there is an answer. And Jesus, you're that answer. There's no need for us, God, to turn hither or thither, Lord. We need but to look for you, Lord, because you're the answer, God, for our troubled lives, Lord. Touch on the day, God. Break every yoke, oh God. Save on the day, God. Deliver on the day, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your will, God. Yes to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise. My message is entitled, The Wolf is at the Door. The Wolf is at the Door. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. I thank you, Lord, for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit that gives us new hearts, Lord, so that we can stretch out beyond our limitations and be ambassadors of you and your word to all who can still hear. I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit. I thank you for courage and compassion today, God, to speak things that need to be spoken in this generation. Help us, Lord, as a church, never to back away from truth. Help us to go forward and let it fall where it may. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. The wolf is at the door. Isaiah chapter 53. Prophet Isaiah says these words. Who has believed our report? Beginning at verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. 
He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's, it's so important before we even begin to look at this passage of Scripture to understand that it was a religious system that crucified Christ. You know, we understand that the Roman authorities were the instruments of his death, but it was the religious order of the day created by God's own people that put the Son of God on a cross. There were leaders in that generation, and they had, they had used their position over the people to garner titles for themselves. They had adorned themselves in righteous robes as they saw it, and they, they loved to parade among the people, as Jesus said, and be called master, teacher, teacher, teacher in the marketplace. But Jesus himself came in a form that he did not take on this form of grandeur that men give to themselves. And also, too, they created a system of salvation that was much wider and much more inclusive than the one that God had given to us. As a matter of fact, it was so narrow that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. They were so offended when he challenged their religious system because they had, they had created this wide door into eternal life and eternal bliss with God that doesn't exist. All kinds of people were coming into the temple defiled and going out defiled. They were living in manners and ways that the Bible clearly indicated would leave them excluded from the kingdom of God forever. And so in comes this man. He's not interested in their system. He's not trying to garner one of their titles. He's not doing things their way. The Bible says there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. He's not dressed in righteous robes. He's, he's not got boxes on his forehead. He's not walking around with tassels on his arms. He's not parading like some rooster before the people. Talking about how close to God he actually is. They despised him and rejected him because he challenged the religious system. They had created a system of redemption that did not exist. Do you understand? And that's the propensity of humankind. The original sin in the Garden of Eden is that we can be as God is. Remember, we can, we can become judges of what's good and what's evil. And if you take that to its logical extension, we can start declaring things that are, that are God forgives when he doesn't. We can start declaring behaviors righteous when they're not. We can start telling people they're going to heaven when they aren't. That is the grave, grave danger of religion. When humankind in its sin nature is allowed to take it and so twist it and so pervert it that it becomes something that God never intended it to be. Can you imagine sitting in a place as a professed or supposed believer in Christ only to end up at the throne of God one day to find out you've been outside the whole thing all along? What a tragedy that's going to be for so many. 
He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There was a, a heaviness in the heart of the Son of God as he looked on the people as sheep without a shepherd. But we hid our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And we are, of course, reliving the scripture again in great measure in our day. In many, many places, even where God's people are gathering, the word of God is despised. And we are now gravitating to fancy preachers who have opened the door real wide to people who are not going to heaven, giving them false peace when they're not at peace with God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are what? Passed away. And behold, all things are become new. If, if we are in Christ, if Christ is in us, that means a new value system. It means a new heart. It means a new mind. It means a new way of speaking, thinking, living. It means that what God says is good is good, and what God says is evil is evil. We don't try to change that. We accept that from the Word of God. Now, this message is given to shepherds to bring us not only to the knowledge of our salvation, but to the freedom which Christ bought for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his beating, as it is, that he took on the cross, we are healed. The old things don't have power over us anymore unless we choose to let them. The old ways of living, speaking, thinking, doing are broken. And we become new creations in Christ. We are able to look back and say, thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not everything that I hope to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be, and thank God I'm going to be one day what Christ is calling me to be. So there's this constant moving forward in the life of a genuine believer, leaving an old way of thinking, an old way of living, an old way of speaking, and moving to truth, even when it's painful. The book of Proverbs says, a righteous person swears to their own hurt and doesn't change. In other words, I say I'm going to do this, and I do it because God's word says I should, even if it causes me pain. And I don't turn from it. Now, Paul was this kind of a shepherd. He, he didn't hold back, as I said earlier. This is what he said in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 31. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, and this is the cry of my heart, if anyone here today hearing my voice ends up in hell, let it not be my fault. Let it never be because I didn't declare to you the whole counsel of God or I didn't warn you of something that had the power to drag you down into eternal darkness. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, for this I know, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, he said, day and night with Tears. Paul said there's going to be wolves that are going to come and they're all already, there's packs of them now. It's not just a few, there's many now. 
in our generation. And they're going to come to devour this sacrifice of Christ and the promise of new life through him. They're going to promise you liberty, as the scripture says in the New Testament, but they themselves are the slaves to corruption. They're promising something they, they're not experiencing themselves and they can't deliver it. Listen to what Jude says, the last book of the New Testament before the book of the Revelation. Verse 3 says, Behold, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here's what the wolves do. They teach that you can live a lifestyle against the word of God and still claim heaven as your eternal home. That is the wolf that's now at the door of the Christian church in America. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators... That means people who engage in sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. Fornicators are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Settle it. It's in the word of God. Don't be deceived into thinking you can live in a moral lifestyle and heaven will still be your home. So hard for this generation to hear. When you've got preachers standing in pulpits saying, well, God understands your need and God is a God of love and God won't send anybody to hell. No, that's not true. God is a God of love. We know that. But the Bible tells us that fornicators have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Nor idolaters, people who have other loves in there. Something that is in your life that, that is, is, is your whole obsession Churches or Christ is just a little part of your life, but there's something else in your life that you're pursuing. Nor adulterers, people who engage, who are married, but engage. And you know, today we take words like adultery and we call it an extramarital affair, as if it's a black tie event. You know, you are invited to an extramarital affair next Friday at five o'clock. Bible calls it adultery. Adultery. Settle it. Deal with it. The sex outside of marriage will keep you outside of the kingdom of God. And sex outside of the bonds of the person that you are married to, the, wife, the man or woman you're married to, will also keep you outside of the kingdom of God, unless it's repented of. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. In other words, that's both, men and women. Folks, listen. 
I understand the dilemma in a sense uh, that some might face in same-sex attraction. But I'm telling you, you can't give in to that lifestyle on any level. Because the Bible clearly says it will leave you outside the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said, some people are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. In other words, some people just live their lives without any sexual activity for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he said, whoever can hear this, let them hear it. You know, you can, you go to a funeral, for example, and you can dress it up with flowers all around and you can, there's a death certificate and the preacher can get up and say nice words. But the reality is that the corpse is still dead. You can't make it live. It doesn't matter what you do. And it's the same with homosexual marriage, folks. I've got to say it straight out today. I'm not going to hold back on it. You can adorn it with flowers. You can get a certificate from City Hall. You, you can find some backslidden preacher to say nice words about it. But the wages of sin is still death. You can't change that. Now listen. I'll be called a hater for, for this message today. I understand that. But I'm not a hater. If I hated you, I'd let you go to hell. If I hated you, I'd let you die in your sin. If I walk down the street and your house is on fire and you're up in your bedroom window and I don't warn you, am I really a good neighbor? Do I really love you? Do I really care about your eternal destiny? You can curse me out of your bedroom window all you want, but I will still warn you that your house is on fire for your soul's sake. Nor thieves. Lest we should think that we're just going to focus on one thing. Nor thieves. I mean, people who steal. It's that simple. People who steal. People who steal a little. They have a contract maybe and steal a little bit more than they should. Income tax time is coming around, folks. Are you going to pay your taxes? <laughs> nor covetous. Nor drunkards. People who come to church this morning, but you were out at a club last night. You're drinking and dancing and, and this foolishness. I'm out there to share the testimony of Christ. Who are you kidding? If you really are there to do that, stand on the sidewalk with pamphlets in your hand and give it to the drunks coming out of the club. You don't need to be in there with them. Nor revilers. You know, especially in, in this environment we're now living in, in this country at this time, where reviling is a, is, has become the speech of the day, where it's, it's fashionable just to curse everybody around you. You know, Paul said revilers don't inherit the kingdom of God. We have a different heart. We have a different spirit. We're, we're a different kind of people. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I love that. Would be to God that I can honestly say that of everybody here today. Such were some of you. But you are sanctified. That means you are set apart for the kingdom of God. You are, you, 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 you honestly repented. You walked away. You moved away from what God's word says is wrong. You can't make it right. 
You can't change it. It doesn't matter if a million people say, oh, isn't this wonderful? If God's word says it's not, it's not. You are sanctified. You walked away. You walked away from these old ways of thinking, these old behaviors and all of these things. And you set yourself apart for the kingdom of God. You're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now you and I are living in an hour where the wolf is heading to the door of the church, demanding in our generation that we bow down to this new definitions of good and evil. This is where we're living. The days of being able to say without penalty, what I'm saying today are, are over. If they're, not, if they're not over, they're very close to over. It's an amazing time that we're now living in. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. This is the point. There's a lot of hirelings in a lot of pulpits in America today. And they're, they're, they don't necessarily leave the people, but they leave biblical truth. They flee the truth when the wolf is at the door. When the wolf says, if you don't bow down, this is our golden statue. This is what this generation is going to look like. This is what you'll preach. These are the truths that you will espouse. They will bow down when the music plays to save themselves because it's always been about themselves, not about the people. The hireling will flee. And you, will, you are seeing and you will see a huge departure from biblical truth in the Christian church in this last hour we're living in. The Bible declares that there's going to be an apostasy, a great falling away in the last days from biblical truth. And the hirelings will lead the people, not into the narrow way of eternal life, but into that broad way of destruction. And they flee because it's always done about them. It's been about the robes. It's been about the praises of man. It's been about the titles. It's been about the numbers. It's been about the apparent evidences of success. Then when Christ comes and challenges them, they hate him. His own system hated him. His own people hated him. They pushed him away because he declared their definitions of salvation and truth to be bankrupt. He told them they were full of dead men's bones. He said, you go cross land and sea to get one convert and you make him twice the child of hell that you've become. These are the words of Christ. He warned us in the last days there would be a great falling away. He warned us. He said, you're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You can't escape that. That's a promise in the word of God. We're going to be hated. It's starting now. You're seeing it in society. You're seeing it in the workplace. You can't even have an opinion on things anymore in this generation that we're now living in. Let me say it clearly now. Abortion for the cause of birth control or, or so that people, I understand there are extenuating circumstances, so please don't misquote me on this. But for the cause of just birth control or for the cause of having sexual pleasure and not having to deal with the life that it can create is sin Amen. in the sight of a holy God. It's a terrible sin in the sight of a holy God. In America today, the deliberate gender confusing of our children in grade school is sin in the sight of a holy God. 
in our high schools, forbidding our children to pray and creating this fictitious division between the state and the church, which doesn't exist. If you really study it, you'll understand it never existed. It was created by the godless. Forbidding our children to pray in our schools is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our colleges, allowing godless professors to rise up and mock God and radicalize a whole generation against even their own nation that was founded by God for the purpose of being able to worship according to the word of God and freely by conscience is sin in the sight of a holy God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So let this society despise him. Let them consider him ordinary. Let them rebel against his words. But this day, if, as Joshua once said, if it be hard to follow the Lord, that's your choice. Choose this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By the grace of God, we will not bow before the wolf in this generation. By the grace of God, we will stand for the truth of God. By the grace of God, we will pray again. We will pray again as a church age. By the grace of God, we will stand up unashamed for the truth of Jesus Christ. We stand on the side of victory. We stand on the side. We stand on the side of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Glory, glory, glory. And as uh, David the king once did, we will stand in this generation against the lion and the bear and everything that comes in to devour our children and to devour the people of God. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up. It's time for the people of God to fight back. It's time for us to begin to pray. It's time to run for public office. It's time for teachers to speak. It's time. It's time for the people of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Glory, 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 glory. The true shepherds of God in this generation are going to care more for the people than for their own safety more than our own reputation. Amen. It's not going to be an easy road. But I don't know about you, but I'm not giving up this generation to darkness. I'm going to stand because the Word of God stands forever. Amen. The opinions of men are like grains of sand on the seashore. They'll fall into nowhere. But the Word of God abides forever. Now here's where I conclude. If you're living... 
in sin. I plead with you, while there's still time, turn. Turn from it. And trust God for the strength. I know there's some sitting here or listening online or they're in the annex and they say, you don't know how deep the bondage is. You don't know how powerful the draw is. No, I don't. But I know the Spirit of God is more powerful than all of that put together. And I know the promise of God is that we will have a new life, an eternal life. The days of living in Christian ease is over in America, folks. It's over. We're about to join our brothers and sisters in China and other places who are being persecuted for what they believe. In Iran, who are being jailed and put to death for believing in Christ. We've lived a very comfortable, very lazy Christianity in America, but those days are over. The wolf is now at the door. Pray for those of us who lead in any capacity that God would give us courage. As I pray for you, that God would give you a cleanness of life and practice and heart and give you the courage to speak up in whatever environment you find yourself in. Our children are starving for truth in this generation and they're wide open. There's only a few Goliaths that claim that they have the power to keep us from being the people of God. But they don't. So I challenge you with all my heart, turn from sin, find that new life in Christ and rise up and be the person that God's called you to be. We're going to sing for just a few moments, we're going to worship. I guess my elder call is just twofold today. It's for people that say, oh God, help me please to turn from this thing in my life. I don't have to tell you what it is you already know. Help me to turn away from watching pornography. Help me to turn away from drink. Help me, God, to turn away from that flirtation in the office. Help me, God, help me, God, to stop railing. Get me off, get me out of the seat of the scornful and help me to walk with the righteous. Deliver me, God, from cowardice and put a love for people in my heart that casts out all fear. Give me a voice to call this generation back to you again. And God help me not to cower under the fear of the repercussions that will come all of our way. You know, I was in Washington and there's an ex-general there who really gives courage to my heart every time I meet him and talk with him. And essentially, what he would say if he were standing here is, you have to fight for a cause higher than your own preservation. If it's just about preserving yourself, you'll flee when the enemy comes. If it's about others, you'll stand. May God give us the courage in this generation to stand for those that don't have a voice for themselves. For our children, for the unborn, for our high school students, for our college students, for every mother, every father, every child in this country that needs to know there's a Savior who died for them. Give us the grace to be kind and compassionate to all 
not judging anyone, we leave that to God, but reaching as far as we can reach into this massive fallen humanity with this message of incredible grace that belongs to every person who turns to it through Jesus Christ. So Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you will today cause your kingdom to advance. You will give us the strength and courage that we now need as a people to stand against the onslaught of wickedness that wants to extinguish the testimony of your life and word. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for courage for your people as others throughout the world have had to have. God, deliver us, Lord, from this life of ease that so many of your people have known and bring us into the true fight for the souls of men. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. God, we yield our bodies today to this purpose. We thank you in Jesus' name. So we're going to stand in a moment. For those who just, you just know you have to turn from something. And for those who want to turn towards Christ, maybe you don't have a struggle that I'm talking about in your life, but you say, God, I'm stuck in neutral. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going back and I'm not going forward. But today you say, I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. I want my voice to have authority. If that's you, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to make your way here. We're going to pray together and believe God to answer our prayer. In the annex, you can make your way here. We'll wait for you in the campus churches. Step between the screens, if you will.
Allison and Adam had recently tied the knot, and their joy knew no bounds when they discovered that Allison was expecting a baby. The news of her pregnancy brought immense happiness to both of them, and they eagerly embraced the prospect of expanding their family. Throughout Allison's pregnancy journey, Adam proved to be a pillar of support. He accompanied her to every doctor's appointment and stood unwaveringly by her side during ultrasounds, demonstrating his deep commitment to both his wife and their unborn child. During a routine checkup, the doctor reassured the couple that their baby was healthy and strong. Adam's face lit up with a smile as he tenderly brushed Allison's hair. Their eyes fixated on the monitor filled with anticipation. Allison felt incredibly grateful to have a husband who shared her excitement and was actively involved in the journey of their baby's arrival. Together, they meticulously prepared the nursery, carefully selecting furniture and clothing to welcome their little one. At 28 weeks, Allison celebrated her impending motherhood with a joyous baby shower surrounded by their closest friends, amidst delightful conversations and heartfelt gift exchanges, she suddenly felt intense contractions. Ouch!
she cried out. Tightly gripping her stomach as waves of sharp pain coursed through her belly. Concerned. Her friends rushed to her side, asking what had happened. And if she was okay. Struggling to speak through the pain. Allison managed to convey. That she was experiencing intense contractions. And needed to be rushed to the hospital. Her friend Maya assured her. Of course. I'll help you get there. I'll also call Adam. And let him know. Maya assisted Allison as she rose from her chair. And they swiftly made their way to the hospital. Upon arrival. The doctor confirmed. That Allison was indeed. In labor. Shortly after Adam's arrival. Allison began the arduous process of giving birth. To everyone's surprise. The first baby. That emerged was a girl. It's a girl, exclaimed the doctor. Confused. Adam. Still holding on to Allison. Asked. But how is. That possible. The ultrasound showed a boy. In. That moment. Allison reminded him of their heartfelt conversation. That night at the cafe when they had both expressed their wish. For a daughter. However. Before they could fully process this surprise. The doctor interjected. But wait. I see another head. We're not finished yet. Urging Allison to continue pushing. Anticipation filled the room. And then. With joy and astonishment, the doctor proclaimed, It's a boy. Look, there he is. The revelation brought a sense of wonder and delight to the couple as they welcomed their unexpected but cherished son into the world. And Adam had been blessed with the unexpected arrival of two healthy babies. Before Allison could fully process the situation, another cry escaped her lips, indicating that another baby was swiftly making their way into the world. Adam stood, in stunned disbelief, trying to comprehend the sudden turn of events. What was supposed to be the welcoming of one baby boy had now become the arrival of three beautiful children who would need his care. Attention and love. Allison was wheeled into the recovery room. While the triplets were admitted to the neonatal intensive care unit due to their premature birth at 28 weeks, it was necessary for them to stay in the hospital for a few days until they were strong enough to be taken home. Meanwhile, Adam found himself lost in contemplation pondering the circumstances that led to this unexpected outcome. Seeking answers, he approached Allison's doctor, hoping to understand how they hadn't known beforehand that she was carrying triplets. The doctor explained that sometimes ultrasounds fail to detect multiple pregnancies, particularly when the fetuses are small and positioned in a way that conceals each other. She assured Adam and Allison that they were fortunate as this occurrence only happens in about one 
in a million pregnancies. However, instead of feeling elated, Adam couldn't help but feel overwhelmed by the prospect of raising three children simultaneously. The weight of the responsibility filled him with a mix of emotions, and he found it challenging to embrace the sudden change in their family dynamics. As Allison and the children remained in the hospital, Adam stayed at home, contemplating the road ahead. Before leaving, he assured Allison, let me know when you're all set to come home. It took another five days before Allison and her children, whom she named Andy, Amara, and Ashton, were finally discharged from the hospital. Allison anticipated Adam's joy upon their return home. But as they made their way back, an uncomfortable silence hung in the air. Sensing the tension, Allison mustered the courage to ask, Is everything all right? Adam simply shrugged, his expression revealing a mixture of emotions that he was struggling to articulate, and grumbled upon reaching home. Adam inquired if the children needed anything, and Allison smiled, thinking he was finally adapting to the demands of caring for triplets. The kids ran out of diapers at the hospital. Could you go and buy some from the store, she requested. Adam nodded. Sure. I'll be back soon. He replied before leaving the house. In the meantime, Allison enthusiastically tended to the three kids. Being in a separate ward at the hospital. This was her first opportunity to care for them independently. Hello there. My little darlings. She cooed as she carefully placed each of them. In the crib. Daddy went to get more diapers. For you. Just be patient. Alright? It's not time. For any messy surprises yet. She whispered. Addressing her infants. Once the kids were peacefully asleep. Allison decided to start preparing dinner. Uncertain about how long they would nap. She opted. For a quick mac. And cheese recipe. Anticipating Adam's return. However. Time passed. And Adam was still absent. The triplets began crying simultaneously. Overwhelming Allison. Who couldn't tend to all of them at once. Desperate to reach Adam. Allison dialed his phone number. But it went straight to voicemail. Hey. Where are you? Is everything okay? I'm getting worried. Please call me back. She pleaded. Leaving a voicemail. Another hour went by. And Allison dialed his number again. Only to find his phone turned off. Growing increasingly anxious. She dialed 911. In search of answers. I just need to verify if this number is active. My husband hasn't returned home. And I'm concerned he may have been. In an accident. She explained. Her voice filled. With panic. The dispatcher obtained Adam's number. And managed to track it. 
I'm sorry. Ma'am. But the line is active. There hasn't been an accident. And your husband is currently driving. On the interstate freeway. Overwhelmed. Allison burst into tears. Why, she sobbed. As her children echoed her cries. In the background. What did I do to deserve this? Left alone. With her three newborn triplets. Allison felt an immense burden without any assistance. She was overwhelmed. Restless. And filled. With a sense of abandonment. And fearful. Before completely letting go of hope regarding Adam's whereabouts. Allison decided to visit Greg. Adam's closest friend. Hoping he might have some information. The following morning. Allison knocked. On Greg's door. Aware of the inseparable bond between him. And Adam. In the blink of an eye. Everything had changed. And Allison couldn't help. But seek answers from Greg. Knowing he held key insights. Hey. Allison. Come. On in. It's great to see you. Greg exclaimed upon opening the door. And seeing her standing there. Would you like some coffee? Allison nodded without hesitation. Her heart racing. Longing. For the answers she had come seeking. Well. I understand. That Adam's behavior might appear strange to you. Greg said. Placing the coffee. On the table. But it's not a surprise to me. Did you see him after he left us? I mean. Did you have any further encounters? Allison interrupted. Yes. I did. And we even had an argument about it. Greg replied. Noticing Allison's growing anxiety. And pale complexion. I tried to reason. With him. And make him understand. That what he was doing was wrong. I urged him to stay. And take care of you. And the babies. But he refused. Your coffee is getting cold. Allison felt a deep sense of hurt. Greg's revelation only intensified her pain. Was. That all. Did he never say anything else? Greg could sense Allison's. Disappointment. And decided it was time to reveal a little more about his best friend. Now. That he has disappeared without a trace. Leaving you alone. With the babies. I think you need to know a bit more about your relationship. Greg added. Allison was perplexed. She had believed. That Greg knew every aspect of her relationship. With Adam. What more? I don't understand. She said. Do you remember your first encounter? With him? Greg continued. Tears welled up. In Allison's eyes. Of course. How could I ever forget? That day. It was a Friday. I was working my shift at the cafe. And saw the two of you sitting. With a group of guys. It was someone's birthday. I still recall Adam's boisterous laughter as he raised the toast when. The guy cut his cake. 
Yeah. That's right. We were celebrating Sam's birthday. But there's something else you still don't know. Allison couldn't help. But let her tears flow as she reminisced about her initial meeting. With Adam. And the way he locked eyes. With her from across the room. Allison. Greg interjected bringing her back to reality. They were drunk. And began arguing about who would win you over first. But. That wasn't all. They went. On to make a rather serious deal. A deal? What kind of deal? Allison was startled. Greg hesitated. Unsure if he had made the right decision to disclose everything. That had transpired. That day. Nevertheless. He found himself. With no other option. But to reveal the truth. Allison. I know this will be painful. For you to hear. But Adam made a bet of $100 to sleep. With you. That night. Greg disclosed. His voice heavy. With the weight of the revelation. Sam laughed it off. Saying it would be easy to win the wager. And seduce you. In addition. He offered $1,000 to Adam if he could court you. And take you out. For a month. Allison was utterly stunned. He placed a bet. On sleeping. With me. Oh my God. How could he? Before Allison could fully process the situation. Greg interjected once more. Divulging the true nature of Adam's character. The thing is. Adam had never been. In a serious relationship before. We all assumed it was some kind of tasteless joke. But then he took the challenge seriously. So you're saying he courted. And married me just. For $1,000. Allison's voice quivered as tears welled up. In her eyes. No. Not at all. He genuinely liked you. I mean genuinely. Greg clarified. Things escalated after you two started dating. You got married. And everything seemed fine until he began feeling suffocated. In the relationship. Adam was afraid of commitment. He didn't want to settle down so quickly. When things got serious. He started pulling away. And he had those mistresses. Allison's alarm was palpable. That's just how Adam is. Deception comes easily to him. It's unfortunate. That he kept you. In the dark. At some point. He wanted to divorce you. But he was too afraid to follow through. If he really wanted to divorce me. Why did he stay? Why didn't he leave me earlier? Allison's voice. Trembled through her tears. I'm not entirely sure why. But one thing I know. For certain is. That your pregnancy shocked him. He wasn't ready. For it. But he tried to hold everything together so. That you wouldn't be hurt. He tried. But when you gave birth to triplets. He panicked. It was the final straw. He felt overwhelmed. And had no choice. But to flee. It became too much.
for him to handle. Leaving you. And the children was the only option he saw. Greg explained. Oh my God. Greg. Allison sobbed. You've been visiting us regularly. You could have told me earlier. Adam left me alone. With the babies. What do I do now? I'm so confused. And how will I survive without him? Allison was terrified at the prospect of single-handedly raising her children amidst various challenges. Her head throbbed with pain from hours of crying. But her tears would not stop. She paced back and forth in Greg's living room while trying to call Adam. But his phone was still switched off. Take it easy. Allison. You need to calm down. Have some water. Give me five minutes, and I'll drive you home. Greg said. Greg drove Allison to her house, where she expressed her gratitude to the neighbor who had babysat her triplets while she was away. With a forced smile, Allison quickly dismissed the woman before inviting Greg in. They are beautiful. Allison. He said while gently stroking the heads of each of her babies. Adam should not have left. He should have stayed. At least. For his children if not. For you. After Greg left. Allison tried to soothe her emotions. And breastfeed her babies before laying them down. In their cribs. Exhausted. And upset. She was too restless to even cry. Time ticked away. And eventually. She fell asleep near her infants. The next morning. A loud doorbell ringing startled Allison. And she jumped out of bed. Her heart racing. Adam, she called out as she rushed to the door. Only to be disappointed when she saw who it was. Greg. She said. Her hopes dashed. Come in. I called you. But you didn't pick up. He said as he entered. Carrying a large bag of diapers. And baby supplies. Hold on. I have more. In my car. I'll get it. Allison was surprised by Greg's unexpected visit. She was even more shocked by the level of attention and care he gave to her babies. Would you like some coffee? She asked him. No, thank you. I have to go. Maybe some other time. Greg replied. With Greg's help, Allison was somewhat relieved. She had been struggling with the thought of raising three children on her own and she had run out of diapers and other baby essentials the initial days were incredibly challenging for Allison but her life took a turn when Greg began frequenting her home and offering his assistance gradually Allison realized that she couldn't handle the responsibility of raising her babies alone without Greg's support he consistently went above and beyond to help her move forward and focus on her future. Greg even volunteered to babysit her triplets while she attended job interviews. 
Before long, Allison secured a job as an attorney at a private law firm. Her days revolved around juggling work, and taking care of her children, and having Greg by her side provided the crucial support she needed. Despite Allison's initial resistance, she couldn't prevent him from showering the kids with the attention and care they deserved. Adam was taken aback by the sight of her in such a powerful position. He couldn't help but feel a mixture of astonishment and regret. She had changed immensely over time and it was clear that she had grown stronger without him. I miss you. Adam began. His voice filled with remorse. I even held on to the hope that you changed your mind. Allison's expression hardened as she looked directly into Adam's eyes. She exuded confidence and determination. No longer the vulnerable woman he had left behind all those years ago. But Adam. She said firmly. You made a choice. You walked away from us. From our family. And you left me to pick up the pieces. I had to be strong. For our children. And I had to build a life. For them without you. Her words hung heavy. In the air carrying the weight of the pain she had endured. Allison had moved forward, finding happiness and success despite the scars he had left. On her heart, she no longer needed him, in the same way she once had. I've learned to live without you. Adam, she continued, her voice steady, and I won't let the past define me anymore. Our children have a loving father figure. In Greg. And we've built a life together. Whatever reasons you have. For showing up now. It's too late to undo the past. Adam shifted uncomfortably. Realizing the gravity of his actions. And the consequences they had. On their family. He had hoped. For forgiveness. But he now understood. That some wounds could never fully heal. Allison stood up from her chair. Her poise unyielding. I suggest you leave. Adam. She said firmly. Our lives have moved on. And we don't need you stirring up old emotions. With a sense of finality. Allison turned away from him. Signaling the end of their conversation. Adam stood there feeling the weight of his choices and the repercussions they had on the life he had left behind. As he walked out of Allison's office, he couldn't help but reflect on the opportunities he had lost and the pain he had caused, vowing to learn from his mistakes and make amends in whatever way he could. As I delved deeper into the truth, my love for you turned into a seething hatred. That surpassed any affection I had ever felt. It strikes me as peculiar. That we now find ourselves face to face like this today. I find myself speechless. But there's one burning question. That lingers, how could you do this to me? Adam? Allison? 
It's not entirely my fault. Adam responded. His voice filled. With remorse. I know what I did was wrong. But I felt trapped. I was young. And frightened. And I rushed into everything, the relationship. The marriage. And having kids. I was truly unprepared to be a father of three. That's absurd. Allison yelled. Her frustration evident. You were 27. Adam. You were not young. You were old enough to handle everything. Or should I remind you once again of what you did? What? What did I do? Adam asked. A hint of guilt. In his voice. Have you forgotten about the bet you made? With your friend Sam about me? Allison seated. Taking a seat. You dated me. And put. On a facade of a happy marriage. You pretended to be thrilled about becoming a father. You lied to me. And cheated. On me. With multiple mistresses. And when you felt it was enough. You became afraid. And ran away. Leaving me alone. With our triplets. Adam found himself caught off guard. He had anticipated Allison's anger over his abandonment. But her knowledge of the bet. His affairs. And his neglect of their children left him shocked. How do you know all this? About the bet. And everything else. Who told you, he asked. Greg. Allison replied. He revealed everything about you. And when you left us. He supported the children. And me. He helped us survive. He did what you were supposed to do. For us. Adam's mind raced. With a realization. Greg. Not Sam. Was the one. With whom he had made the bet about Allison. You kept it hidden from her. Ha. Huh. Greg. Adam thought to himself. A wicked plan taking shape. In his mind. In. That case. I believe I should pay you a surprise visit. Adam approached Allison. Determined to teach her how to reveal the whole truth. Allison. Consider yourself lucky. That I left. He began drawing closer. Look at me now. I have nothing, just a lousy job and overwhelming debts. If I had known you were so wealthy, I would have come running to you. For help. Are you drunk? Adam? Allison fumed. Her patience wearing thin. What more can I expect from you? It doesn't surprise me. Allison. Please help me. I need money. Adam pleaded. Why would I do that? Allison retorted. Her anger boiling over. You abandoned the kids. And me. You walked out. On us without a second thought. Did you ever consider us? Then why should I? You can leave now. I never want to see you again. And please don't ever cross my path. Get out. Allison's words were filled with bitterness as she promptly kicked Adam out. On the spot. Grumbling. 
Adam left the office and decided to wait at a nearby cafe. He devised a plan to confront his ex-wife after her work. So this is where she lives now with her new husband. Adam smirked as he witnessed Allison and Greg embracing on their doorstep. He even caught a glimpse of his children, Andy, Amara, and Ashton, playing in the yard. The following day, Adam returned to Allison's house after she had left for work. He knocked on the door, startling Greg. Adam, oh my God, what are you? Greg began to speak. But Adam forcefully entered the house, making himself comfortable. On the couch. How did you find us? My best friend seducing my wife behind my back. Seriously impressive. Adam taunted, chuckling as Greg grew increasingly uneasy. Fortunately, no one else was home. Adam, what do you want? Why have you come here? How could you do this to me? Greg asked, his voice trembling. You knew I loved her. Adam replied, his tone laced, with resentment. Why loved her? If you truly did, you wouldn't have run away, leaving her. Amidst the tension, Greg argued, and what about the kids? Did you forget about the bet we made? That night at the cafe, I fell in love with her at first sight. And so did you. We both desired her, didn't we? But only one of us succeeded. Greg declared, his voice filled with frustration. Adam surveyed the opulence of Greg's living room as he responded. I admitted I was happy with her. Then she became pregnant. Double joy. Even though I wasn't fully prepared. Nonetheless, I supported her and loved her even more. But it became overwhelming for me when I saw three babies. I had only prepared myself for one. So I had to leave. I wasn't ready to raise triplets. Greg frowned. His disappointment evident. People don't run away from their family or from their children. He argued. Adam disregarded Greg's concern. And made an unusual demand. I don't want to dig any deeper. I want $5,000. $5,000. He stated. Greg was stunned. Yes. I'm just asking. For a little to keep my mouth shut. It will help me with some personal matters and paying off debts and in return you can save your marriage with Allison imagine the consequences if she finds out that you and I placed a bet on her Adam explained Greg never expected this situation to arise after a moment of contemplation he reluctantly agreed but I need some time. He added. All right. I'll see you soon. Remember. 
Saturday is the deadline. Adam said. Giving Greg's shoulder a reassuring pat before leaving. On Friday afternoon. Greg withdrew $5,000 from the joint account he shared. With Allison. Hoping she wouldn't notice. However. He failed to anticipate. That she would receive a notification. On her phone about a $5,000 debit. Alarmed. Allison wondered. Why would Greg need such a large sum of money? Growing concerned. She immediately called Greg to inquire about it. Hey. Don't worry. It's our money after all. She began. But why didn't you tell me you needed $5,000? Is everything okay? Did something unexpected happen? With no other choice. Greg had to reveal the truth to Allison. He confessed. Adam threatened to tell you. That he had a bet. With me. Not Sam. I was terrified of losing you. Allison. I love you deeply. To Greg's surprise. Allison burst into laughter. He had expected her to explode. With anger. But her reaction rendered him speechless. Greg. How absurd do you really think I would leave you over some drunken joke? That came back to haunt us, she said. With a smile. I despise Adam. Not because of the bet or his foolish actions. But. For abandoning me. With the triplets. It's all. In the past now. When I get home. We will talk. And resolve things better. Allison ended the call. Leaving Greg. In shock. Allison didn't hate him. For what he did. When Allison got home. Greg tried to beg. For forgiveness once again. But Allison assured him. That she had already forgiven him. And wanted them to live happily. Let me prepare something. For us to eat. Allison said as she went to the kitchen. While pondering. She thought. I wanted to feel sorry for. That pitiful addict. But blackmail. That was crossing the line. Filled. With determination. And a sense of justice. Allison wasted no time. In conveying her decision to Greg. She expressed her firm resolve to report Adam's actions to the appropriate authorities, believing. That his malicious behavior should not go unpunished. Recognizing the gravity of the situation. And understanding the importance of standing up against such misconduct. Greg wholeheartedly supported Allison's choice. Together. They gathered all the necessary evidence they could find. Meticulously documenting Adam's threats. The extortion attempt. And his long-standing evasion of alimony payments. Armed. With a substantial case against him. They presented their findings to the local law enforcement agency. Ensuring. That justice would be served. Impressed. By the thoroughness of their investigation. And the compelling evidence presented. The authorities wasted no time. In launching an official inquiry into Adam's actions. It didn't take long. For the truth to unravel. 
exposing Adam's despicable deeds to the scrutiny of the legal system. After a swift but thorough investigation, the law enforcement agencies gathered an airtight case against Adam. The weight of his transgressions bore heavily upon him as he faced the consequences of his actions. Swiftly, he was arrested and apprehended for blackmailing Greg. The news of Adam's arrest sent shockwaves through their community as people learned of the extent of his deceit and the pain he had caused Allison and her family. The authorities, determined to ensure justice prevailed, pursued the legal proceedings with utmost seriousness. Adam's trial became a significant event that garnered widespread attention. During the proceedings, the evidence presented painted a damning picture of Adam's character and actions. Witness testimonies further solidified the case against him, revealing the depth of his manipulation and disregard for the well-being of others. Inside the courtroom, Adam's facade of arrogance crumbled as the weight of his crimes bore down upon him. Recognizing the severity of his offenses, the judge handed down a just and substantial sentence, holding Adam accountable for his actions. The verdict served as a powerful message, illustrating that attempt to exploit and blackmail others would not go unpunished. With Adam behind bars, Allison and Greg felt a renewed sense of security and closure. Their courageous decision to seek justice had not only protected their own family, but potentially spared others from falling victim to Adam's malicious schemes. They hoped that Adam's arrest would serve as a deterrent to others, preventing similar acts of blackmail and ensuring the safety and well-being of innocent individuals. As for Allison and Greg, they found solace in knowing that their love and resilience had prevailed. Their bond grew stronger through the shared experience, reinforcing their commitment to each other and their determination to overcome any future challenges that came their way.
www.jesusinthemorningradio.com
Have you ever wondered if you have the Holy Spirit? Or have you ever found yourself questioning whether the Holy Spirit is active in your life? You're certainly not alone. If we are honest, many of us grapple with these very thoughts at different points in our spiritual journey. So, how can we identify the signs of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives? Today, as we take a look at some of the signs of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to not just know about the Holy Spirit, but to truly know Him. There is a big difference. Come to experience the Holy Spirit and let Him lead you every step of the way. Your life will never be the same. I am also going to pray a powerful prayer with you in the name of Jesus. So watch until the end and open your heart to receive the blessings of this prayer. The Bible offers clear insights and assurances about the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Romans 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This passage highlights that having the Holy Spirit is a definitive mark of being a true believer in Christ. Furthermore, Acts 2 verse 38 advises us, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This tells us that the Holy Spirit is a gift given to all who genuinely turn to Christ, signaling the beginning of a transformative relationship. Imagine holding a well-worn Bible, its pages filled with little scribbles, highlighted verses and so, bookmarks. Even though Each page you turn tells stories of faith, resilience, and redemption. As you read, familiar verses comfort you, while new insights challenge and grow your faith. Each word, each story in this Bible reflects God's unwavering love for us and that gentle nudge, the quiet voice in your heart, guiding you to a particular verse or insight. This is just one example of what being led by the Spirit truly means. So, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not just speaking of a distant concept or vague idea. We are speaking of the promised Holy Spirit, God's ever-present helper in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the living breath of God, the force that can move mountains. This Spirit is our helper, standing by our side, the teacher that reveals truths, the comforter in times when we're downhearted, and the guide that directs our steps on unfamiliar paths and guides us through the storms of life. Just as Jesus said in John 14, verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all I have shared with you. Through every twist and turn of life, the Holy Spirit is there, playing multiple roles, always guiding, teaching, helping, and comforting us. In this journey as believers, we realize that stepping into faith is more than just a choice. 
It's an invitation to a life filled with the power and love of Christ. It's about feeling a new energy, the same energy that empowered Jesus to perform miracles, heal the sick, and touch countless lives. But remember, in Zechariah 4, verse 6, the Bible tells us that it is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. This verse emphasizes that it is God's Spirit that empowers us to do extraordinary things, just as Jesus was empowered to perform miracles and heal the sick. From the stories in the New Testament to the exciting adventures in the Book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's presence is evident. These stories are not just events from the past, but are alive and relevant today, reminding us that the Holy Spirit continues to work wonders in our lives. So today, let's explore ten signs that show the Holy Spirit's presence among us. Sign number one, transformation of character. In our lives, change is inevitable. Like seasons shifting, we too undergo changes both inside and outside. But when the Holy Spirit is actively working within us, there's a particular kind of change, a special transformation that is unlike any other, as the Bible in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, explicitly states, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These aren't just words, but transformative changes. Their presence are an indication of a heart deeply influenced by God's grace and the Holy Spirit. Whether you are making reference to your own life or the life of others, these changes should be present in a believer's character. It's as if a garden, once dominated by wild weeds, suddenly flourishes with colorful and fragrant blossoms. Consider that this transformation isn't always instant, nor is it always easy. There will be days of struggle, of doubt, days of trying and failing. So I am not here to tell you that your walk with God is going to be perfect. But what's important is that in the midst of these trials, we persevere leaning on the unwavering strength and grace of God. For it's not the absence of challenges that defines our faith, but our resilience and reliance on Him while experiencing them. It's the Holy Spirit that nurtures us, gently tending to our souls, guiding us through those challenging moments. Just as a potter shapes clay, the Spirit molds our character, smoothing out, rough edges, and filling the cracks with Christ's love. Over time, our desires shift from the worldly to the heavenly, from pleasing ourselves to pleasing God. It's a journey from being self-centered to being Christ-centered, and it's truly one of the most beautiful adventures one can experience. Sign number two, desire to pray. Prayer is like a heart song a sacred melody that we share with the Creator. Yet, there will be moments when our voice falters, when emotions cloud our thoughts, and words escape us. It's in these silent gaps, these pauses, that the Holy Spirit steps in. As Romans 8 verse 26 beautifully states, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, 
for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is telling us how the Spirit becomes our voice, translating our heart's deepest yearnings into a language only God understands. It's like having a friend who knows exactly what's on your mind. Even when you can't find the words to express it, one of the beauty of prayer is its simplicity. It doesn't require grand gestures or eloquent words. All it needs is a sincere heart. The Holy Spirit amplifies this sincerity by turning our simple whispers into profound conversations with God. He becomes our partner in prayer, guiding our spirit and deepening our connection with the Almighty. So, when we kneel down to pray, we're never truly alone. The Spirit is right there with us, ensuring that every sigh, every tear, every unspoken word is heard, felt, and cherished by God. Sign number three, conviction of sin. We've all had moments in our lives when we felt a tug at our heart, signaling that something we've done wasn't right. This deep sense of awareness is not merely a feeling of guilt. It's the Holy Spirit working within heightening our sensitivity to sin and driving our hearts towards repentance. Look at what Jesus himself stated in John 16, verse 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We see this happening in the story of King David and the prophet Nathan. When David strayed, it was Nathan's gentle rebuke, inspired by God's Spirit, that guided him back to righteousness. The Holy Spirit plays a similar role in our lives, offering gentle corrections and guiding us back when we drift. But here's the thing. The challenge arises when some of us overlook the gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit that has been urging us to return to the right path over time. If ignored, these sins can form habits or strongholds in our lives that may become challenging to break free from. These strongholds not only entangle us, but also complicate our lives even further. Sign number four. Understanding of Scripture. Have you ever read a scripture that you've seen countless times before, but suddenly it speaks to you in a new and profound way? I can surely testify to this, and I know that this experience is not unique to me. That's the Holy Spirit's work, making the Word of God come alive and making it resonate deeply and personally with us. John 16 verse 13 assures us, However, when He, the Spirit of Truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. The Bible tells us about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, verses 27 to 39. While reading from the book of Isaiah, the Ethiopian eunuch was approached by Philip. Without the Spirit's guidance, the eunuch struggled to understand the scripture he read, but with Philip's Spirit-led explanation, the message became clear, and he was baptized as we delve into God's Word. The Spirit consistently sheds light on scriptures, revealing deeper truths and making connections that we might have missed on our own. 
Sign number five, empowerment for service. Imagine finding a well of strength and ability within you that you never knew existed. That's the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, equipping believers with the strength to serve, witness, and testify for Christ. Acts 1, verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Think of the Apostle Peter. Before the Holy Spirit came upon him, he denied Jesus out of fear. But afterwards, filled with the Spirit, he stood in front of thousands, boldly proclaiming the gospel. Likewise, as the Spirit works within us, our God-given talents and spiritual gifts not only become evident, but are also refined and utilized. All for the glory of God. Sign number six. Increased compassion. Compassion is more than just a fleeting sentiment. It's an overflowing of God's love in our hearts. Romans 5 verse 5 states, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This love transforms us, leading us to genuinely care for those around us. Remember the Good Samaritan. His compassionate act towards a total stranger showcased a heart touched by divine love. Yet, it's essential to note that sometimes other individuals may also outwardly perform acts of kindness without genuine compassion at the core. But, true spiritual transformation is marked, not just by actions, but by an authentic love that stems from a deep connection with God. So... There is a difference, as it relates to the Good Samaritan, in a similar way. The Holy Spirit stirs in us an authentic concern, aligning our hearts with Jesus' profound command to love God wholly and to extend that same love to others. Under the Holy Spirit's influence, alongside this love for our fellow humans, there also arises a deep, genuine love for Jesus himself. It's an affection that is sincere, going beyond mere ritual or religion, while drawing us closer to his heart and his ways. This transformation meant to the Spirit's power, to redirect our affections and priorities, anchoring them firmly in Christ. Sign number seven, speaking in tongues. On the day of Pentecost, a miraculous event occurred. Acts 2 verse 4, tells us, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was evident in the early church, where believers were empowered by the Spirit, expressing their faith in diverse yet unifying ways. But even today, this miraculous gift of speaking in tongues is still present in the lives of many believers, serving as a testament to the Spirit's active presence. Consider this. Speaking in tongues is a supernatural sign, showcasing the Spirit's magnificent work within us. It's a divine utterance that allows our spirit to communicate directly with God. While not everyone may experience this in the same way, 
it remains a genuine testament to the Spirit's overflow within our lives. So, if you ever doubt the Spirit's presence in your life, due to your experience differing from others, remember that it isn't about comparison. Each of us have our own story. Embrace your unique experience, for it is genuine and valid. It is a testament to the ever-present overflow of the Spirit in your life. Interestingly, I can vividly recall my first experience of speaking in tongues. It occurred at night, right after I was emerging from a dream. So, these spiritual moments manifest in their own perfect timing. Like many believers, you can seek God's guidance and request the gift of speaking in tongues as a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. Be patient and avoid comparing yourself with others. Remember, it's a gracious gift and a unique experience. All that's required of you is to be open-hearted and welcome it. Sign number eight, guidance in decision-making. Life is filled with crossroads, decisions that can significantly shape our paths. These decisions can sometimes mean the difference between life and death, success or failure, seizing an opportunity or missing it. But with the Holy Spirit's influence as believers, we aren't left wandering in the dark or to navigate these moments alone. As we tune in to the Holy Spirit's divine guidance, we find clarity even in life's most complex moments. Romans 8 verse 14 assures us, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So, the Holy Spirit is our compass providing divine direction and wisdom. Consider the story of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. When they were imprisoned for preaching the gospel, rather than falling into despair, they sang praises to God. As a result, there was a miraculous earthquake that opened the prison doors. Their unwavering faith and the guidance of the Holy Spirit not only led to their physical freedom, but also to the jailer's spiritual salvation. Therefore, this kind of divine direction not only enlightens us with the truth or points us to the right path, but also provides peace, assuring us that we're in alignment with God's will. Sign number nine. Biblical signs and wonders. The Bible is not just a book of past events. It's a testament to God's enduring power and the wonders that come through faith, Mark 16, verses 17 to 18, promises. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Such divine demonstrations aren't limited to biblical times. Reflect on the Apostle Paul's journey in Acts. Once blinded on the road to Damascus, he later regained sight through Ananias' prayer, showcasing God's miraculous power. In today's world, believers are still witnesses to and instruments of God's marvelous works. 
proving the timeless nature of his promises and the ever-present power of the Holy Spirit. And sign number 10, peace and faithfulness. Amidst the whirlwind of life's uncertainties and challenges, there exists a sanctuary of calm available to every believer. Philippians 4, verse 7 tells us, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This isn't a temporary feeling or a short-lived comfort. It's a profound, enduring peace that anchors our souls. Consider the Apostle Paul imprisoned and bound, yet his letters radiated with an inexplicable peace. Even in chains, he wrote words of encouragement and hope, revealing the deep well of peace that was his through the Holy Spirit. Such inner peace is not dictated by our surroundings, but it comes from the Holy Spirit, reminding us continually of God's everlasting love and care. Also, in a world where people often change their minds, and don't always stay loyal. The Holy Spirit gives believers a strong and lasting commitment to faithfulness. So, if you're struggling with staying faithful, you might want to seek the guidance and strength of the Holy Spirit to help you maintain your commitment to your spiritual beliefs and values. Consider that as a believer. If you are unfaithful to others, you are also being unfaithful to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will stick around if he finds that you're not resisting. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible reminds us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. The strong sense of commitment or ability to stay faithful isn't just something we do on our own. It's a divine gift given to us. Think of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. The stones rained down on him. He gazed heavenward and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Instead of anger or fear, Stephen's heart overflowed with faithfulness, praying for his persecutors. Such unwavering commitment to God's teachings, even in the face of dire adversity, is a testament to the Spirit's transformative power within guiding us to hold fast to God's promises and live out our faith courageously. Isn't it comforting to know that in our journey with God, we are not alone? The Holy Spirit actively works within us, nurturing our growth, guiding our steps, and instilling virtues that reflect the heart of Christ. Let us embrace these signs with open hearts, trusting in God's plan and purpose for our lives. As we journey forward, let's remain steadfast, leaning into His unwavering love and grace. With the Holy Spirit by our side, we can confidently face tomorrow, knowing we are held, guided, and loved beyond measure. Remember, we are living in times where many voices clamor for our attention, but there's one voice the Spirit's gentle whisper that can guide us through the most turbulent of storms and into the calm of God's embrace. Let us not merely seek the signs, but yearn for a deeper, intimate relationship with our Creator through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. 
changing us to become more like Jesus. Intimate relationship. We find true purpose, peace, and the profound joy of knowing we walk hand in hand with the Almighty. So, let us continually foster our bond with the Holy Spirit, ensuring we remain in tune to His daily guidance and influence. Now, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me so that you can have all the blessings of this prayer. Let us pray to our gracious and merciful God, Heavenly Father, Almighty God, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the creator of heaven and earth, God of both the visible and the invisible. I praise you and give you all the glory. You are a bright light in the dark, giving comfort to the downhearted and strength to the weak, Lord. Today I come before you to seek your holy presence. I invite your Holy Spirit into my life. Make your holy presence known to me, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are my helper and comforter. May you fill me, empower me, guide me, and teach me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you bring about a true change of my character. May you fill me with fruit of your Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, help me to show these changes in my life, not just for my own good, but also for those around me. May my heart align with your desires, and may my actions reflect your love. Father, as I seek to draw closer to you, I lay down my burdens and seek your guidance. Through the Holy Spirit, I am grateful that your Holy Spirit steers me away from sin and towards your righteousness and grace. Lord, may your Holy Spirit help me to have a deeper understanding of the Scriptures. May your Word come alive in my heart, bringing light to every corner of my being and leading me to your truth. I pray for empowerment, Lord, so that through your Holy Spirit I may be a vessel for your service, reaching out to others with love, compassion, and kindness. Father, let me recognize the gentle nudges of your Holy Spirit in my decision-making, ensuring that every step I take is in alignment with your perfect will. Lord, as I grow in faith, may signs and wonders manifest in my life in ways that will bring glory and honor to your name. May you guide me to understand and receive the gift of speaking in tongues, using it for your divine purposes. Father, may your Holy Spirit give me the peace that surpasses all understanding. May you bless me with an unwavering faithfulness to stand firm in trials, always staying in obedience to your word and your will. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke every force that seeks to derail my journey. Father, I ask for your divine protection. I am thankful that you are my deliverer. You are my shield and buckler. Lord, you are my hiding place. 
I declare that everything is working for me and not against me. Lord, may you bless the work of my hands and bless me in my comings and goings. Deliver me from all evil. Lead me not into temptation and keep me close to you. In the name of Jesus, I declare good health and healing over my body, mind, and spirit. I cast out every spirit of confusion and fear from my life. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you are greater than any challenge I may face. Lord, as I bring my loved ones before you, I ask that they seek you more each day. May you show them mercy and bring them to experience your peace, love, and grace. Father, let their lives resonate with testimonies of your goodness. And may they find refuge under your wings and comfort through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as I say this prayer, together with everyone listening, for every person opening their heart to you right now, I ask that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray that we will experience your divine touch, a revelation of your love, and a profound understanding of our purpose in you. For those feeling weak, Holy Spirit, may you give them strength and courage to overcome. For those experiencing sadness, sickness, pain, or hurt, Holy Spirit, may you be their comforter and healer. Lord, help those who are worried or troubled in their hearts and minds to feel your peace and love. For those who are feeling confused or lost, Holy Spirit, may you help them to come to know all truth and to be their counselor, providing them with guidance and clarity. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Amen. If you were blessed by this message, type the word Amen in the comments section below. I declare that all the blessings of this prayer are now upon you. In the name of Jesus, you can help us to reach more persons and spread the
Jesus in the Morning Radio with Barbara.